0: So I come in this morning and I have (laughs) M&M's and I'm everybody's best friend. I don't know what the deal is. So so let's say you have a a five-year-old that you know of. And um, this five-year-old loves M&M's. And you don't show them this, but you... um, ask them would they like to have some M&M's and a fun-sized bag of M&M's. And and they say, yes, of course. I mean, what are they going to do? Hop in their car and drive to the store. Well, they probably have the money, but they're not going to hop in the car and drive to the store. So you produce a bag of M&M's. And so you have uh, already set up on the table, which I don't have here, but you've already set up on the table. Uh, these two plates, and you tear open the corner of the, the bag of M&M's, and they pour the M&M's in the, the bag, on uh, the plate, and they immediately eat five of them, just right off the bat. And so you stop them, because you had told them if you're going to give them the M&M's, the deal for you giving them the M&M's is that they have to let you have half of them. So, now they've eaten five of them and you count the rest of the M&M's and you find that there are 11 more M&M's. So, five plus 11 equals 16. So, you take your eight M&M's and put them on your plate. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And so, this five-year-old looks at the two plates and the kid has three on their plate and you have eight on yours and they cross their arms, and they frown, and they go, hmm. Now, just a minute before, that kid was ecstatic because you were gonna give them some M&M's, which they had no opportunity of giving. And they, they readily went along with the idea that you could have half of the M&M's until it came down to where they saw And I wonder, when you and I became a Christian, remember back to the time that is, and we were ecstatic with what God was going to do for us. He's going to wipe away our sins. He's going to remove our having to go to hell, make us to be able to where we could go to heaven. God's spirit was going to come and live inside of us. But lately, whether that's been days, weeks, or years later when God's Spirit has been prompting you to do something that you're a little bit uncomfortable doing, or He's been saying there's something that He wants you to do differently, or there's an attitude that He wants you to change, do you ever fold your arms, figuratively speaking, whenever God is telling you He wants you to change, and do you then go, hey. Because you really don't want to do what God is asking you to do. Luke 9, 23. Then he, Jesus, said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross daily and follow me. Now, what that very simply means in denying yourself that you put aside your wishes, your plans, your hopes, your dreams, your desires, and you give them all over to Jesus. Taking up our cross daily, taking up a cross is a symbol of death, meaning that we die to ourselves and what we want to do, and we follow Jesus. So, do you do those, those things? Do you deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow Jesus? Jesus continues, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me Will save it. In what we know as the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, Jesus is talking to his listeners, talking to them about heavenly treasures and earthly treasures, wanting to enhance the value of heavenly treasures and to put down the value of earthly treasures. And as he's finishing, This part of his message, he says this, but seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom, and his righteousness, and all these things, the earthly treasures, will be given to you as well. Which clearly means that Jesus is talking about who gets first priority in everything. It's clearly God. Is that how you and I are living today? That in everything, in every aspect of our lives, that God is first priority. Two of the 12 men in Jesus' band of 12 two of the three in Jesus' inner circle, the inner circle being Peter, James, and John, and the two are James and John, have their mom do some dirty work for them one day. When all three of them come up to Jesus and their mom ask Jesus if her two boys, can in the power structure of Jesus' coming kingdom, can her two boys be in position one and position two of power in the kingdom? Now, I don't know the expression that Jesus had whenever he looked at them, but I'm going to go, I'm thinking he goes, say what? You know, and had this look in his face like, what are you asking? But we don't know because he didn't say anything about that, but I'm going against you going, well, he very kindly told those three people that, well, that really wasn't his job. The job of who he's going to be first and second in the power structure of his kingdom was going to be up to his father. And he let it go with that. I'm thinking a little bit later, but not very much later. Maybe that same day, maybe later on in the week, I don't know. But the other 10 guys heard about the stunt that James and John had pulled with their mom coming to Jesus and asking him if they could be uh, the top dogs in, in the kingdom. Well, uh, they were not particularly happy with that. And so Jesus, when he had all 12 of them together, was going to address the selfishness of all 12 of them. And he said this to them, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the son of man, Jesus referring to himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It does not take much digging for you and I in Scripture to find out very clearly that in order to follow Jesus, one is expected to give all of himself or herself in following Jesus. Do you think that way? Do we live That way? When you and I became a Christian at that moment, when you and I became a Christian at that moment, God sanctified us. He removed from us our sins. God's Holy Spirit at that moment came to live inside of us. We no longer had the sentence of death to go to hell, and we were given the right, the privilege of going to heaven. At the moment we became a Christian, God sanctified us. Though being sanctified is what God did to us and for us, being sanctified is also a lifelong process that requires our participation. Let me say that again. Though being sanctified is what God did to us and for us, being sanctified is also a lifelong process that requires our participation. Part number one of the sanctification process is God doing His thing by making us a Christian. But what I want to focus on today is part number two of sanctification, which involves us, because without a doubt, with a clear reading of Scripture, God expects every Christian, every follower of Jesus to be fully engaged in the act of sanctification, part two, that God has for us. You and I are to be purposefully involved in part two of sanctification. I'd like us to pray. And... I want you to pray. Go ahead and bow your heads if you would. And there may be God's spirit may bring to your mind something that you know that He wants you to do, or an attitude to change, and you really may not want to do that, and honestly, that's part of the sanctification process. And so if you are willing to accept the challenge, that you would go ahead and pray something like this. God, as I learned this morning how you want to sanctify me, I'm telling you ahead of time, before I know what you're going to tell me, that I will do what you tell me to do. If you're willing, go ahead and pray. Father, as we hear the rain coming down on the roof, as your Spirit convicts us and maybe falls on us or brings to our mind something, may we respond to your leading and allow you to further sanctify us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. 1 Peter 1, verse 14. Peter writes to his audience, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Now, Peter is acknowledging by calling them children. He is acknowledging that they already are followers of Jesus. He's not saying they're heathen reprobates or anything like that. He's calling them children to let them know that they are already sanctified, the part one. But Peter mentions, as he said this, that they still need to be on guard against one, they need to be on guard against sin. And though they are sanctified, part one, In part two, they need to be sanctified. They need to be um, on guard against sin and they need to be holy. Verse 15 and 16. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So though they were already Christians, Though their sins were already forgiven, though they were already going to heaven, though God's Spirit was already living inside of them, Peter is telling them that there is something else that God is expecting from them. That is is exactly what the Bible says. Now, we may not like that, but that requires of us something that we do in our being sanctified, being made holy, which is the same word, and being set apart to God and for God for his kingdom work. Now, here are some scriptures that show that we, after becoming Christians, need to be sanctified. We need to be holy. Romans 12, verse 1. Paul is writing to the Christians in the city of Rome And he says this, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. And so when he calls them brothers and sisters, he is acknowledging that they are already sanctified. When he talks about in view of God's mercy, he is already talking about how God has forgiven them, how God has forgiven us. And though they and we have been forgiven. There is something that is expected of us even after we have become Christians. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Again, this is Paul, Paul here, speaking to Christians and telling them that there is something after they have become a Christian that they must continue to do. What do they do? They need to live a holy life. When people look at you, would they say that you are living a holy life? The the Apostle Paul had spoken about Jesus in the city of Thessalonica, and many people had decided that they wanted to become Christians, they wanted to follow Jesus. And so they did, part one of sanctification. Later, sometime later, Paul became concerned about these Christians that he did not any longer see in Thessalonica, and wanted to know if they had been faithful to Jesus, and so he sent Timothy to find out. Timothy comes back, and then after Paul and Timothy have a conversation, then Paul writes this letter to the Christians in Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid... That in some way the tempter had tempted you, and that our labors might have been in vain. In other words, how had they been doing in part two of their sanctification, of investing their time and energy and efforts to grow in their relationship with Jesus? Paul was concerned that they were not growing and they had been unfaithful to Jesus. Well, Timothy came back and had reported to Paul that these Christians had stood firm and they had not fallen away. And Paul continues to tell them and us things about continuing in our part two of sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses two through eight. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of... Of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. And then Paul lists some ways that Christians need to be sanctified. And he says that you should avoid sexual immorality. Take your pick. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lusts like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a Christian brother or sister, the Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life life. So in the areas just mentioned in those, that scripture, are you living a holy life? Or are you compromising some? Are you compromising and do what you feel like? Going along with the world standard who says all sorts of things are acceptable but not according to God's standards. And so do you, because of the excuses you make, say, well, I'm going to go ahead and do this because? Or do you live a sanctified life in spite of what you feel and in spite of what people around you say and do? Paul goes on to say what happens what we can expect if we no longer continue to work on part two you and I work on part two of our sanctification therefore anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being but God the very God who gives you when you became a Christian his Holy Spirit do you and I more closely resemble someone in the world or do we resemble someone who has a vibrant relationship with Jesus? Around 1100 BC, between 1150 and uh, 1050 and 1100, there lived a man and woman, husband and wife, by the name of Elkanah, and Hannah. Hannah was distraught because she had no children. She asked God for a son. God heard her request and about nine months later, God gave her a son. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, First Samuel chapter one. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And Samuel was born to her. Around the time that Samuel was four or five, Scripture says, when he was weaned, Hannah honored her promise to God and took her little boy when she and Elkanah, their family, went to Shiloh, which is where the house of the Lord was, the tabernacle, where Eli was a priest serving God in Shiloh. And Hannah turned over her little boy Samuel, into the care of Eli the priest. Well, they would come back every year and she would see her son once a year. But she entrusted her boy, according to her promise, to Eli the priest. And so for the next several years, Samuel learned from Eli things about God. And Samuel grew in his relationships with people and he grew stronger in his relationship with God. When Samuel was around 12 or 13, this happened. 1 Samuel 3. One night Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, Eli was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God, and I think that's a literal lamp, the lamp of God had not yet gone out and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of the covenant of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. The third time the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there. Could Samuel see him? I don't know. Had the Lord stood there the three other times that he had called Samuel? I don't know. The Lord came and stood there calling as at the other time, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak for your servant. Is listening. Do you want to know what God wants you to do in part two of your sanctification? Do you really want to know what God expects from you in your part two of your Sanctification. Do you truly want to be holy, set apart for God's servant? Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Do you want to avoid the traps you so easily fall into? And together we would say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Do you want to spend your money wisely in order to bless God and others? And God's people would say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Do you want to live a life that brings God honor and draws family and friends into a relationship with him? Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Do you want to be closer to God? as close as you possibly can be, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Are you willing to listen for God's voice? Are you willing to learn God's voice? Are you willing to respond to God's voice? Here's the kicker. Are you willing to obey God's voice? You can do the other three, but if you don't do the last one, the obeying part, the part that makes a difference in your sanctification with God and my sanctification with God, If you and I do not do that, we are not being the people that God wants us to be. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Would you bow your head, please? Are you willing to listen for God's voice? Are you willing to learn God's voice? Are you willing to respond to God's voice? Are you willing to obey God's voice? If you are willing to do those things, then go ahead and tell God Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And that's the challenge. Are you willing to let God move in your life and sanctify you, the part two part? Are you willing to be actively engaged in obeying whatever God says to you? Are you willing to explicitly follow his direction and his guidance even and particularly when it makes you uncomfortable. If there's a decision that you have to make, and maybe you want to become a Christian or you've made the decision and you've never been baptized and you want to do that, maybe you want to know your next step in getting closer to God. and. And how do I respond to God's voice? Maybe you want someone to pray with you and and, and you have trouble doing what you know that God wants you to do and becoming holy and being sanctified. When church is over and you leave this room, then as you turn to your right in the lobby, there will be someone waiting for you by the welcome center and they can talk with you and answer your questions. If you are home and watching, and if you get in touch with us through the two ways you see on the screen, through the email and the phone number, we will contact you no later than tomorrow and we can spend a time to get together. And when you, in this room, leave this room today, There will be individuals in the lobby to hand you a gray sheet of paper. And it says, others may, you cannot. And I encourage you to read that paper and to see if you are willing to let God's spirit so move in your life that you will become like that person who wrote what that person wrote nearly a century ago. Our Father in heaven, would you speak to us? We will do what you call us to do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.